You're listening to the Taming Hindrances Podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health, as well as a dive into this thing known as spirituality. We talk about everything and anything on the podcast, so come get triggered. Welcome to another episode of the Taming Hindrances Podcast. As always, my name's Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast, and... I have a, um, I won't say a unique episode, but a little change up. We're doing a little change up on the episodes here. Uh, you'll notice that the the title of this episode is Discourse. Uh, and I'm going to give you the definition of discourse because I like to use definitions for stuff. But the reality of this episode is I'm going to kind of ramble on a little bit because there's a lot going on with the podcast and I to be honest, need to get my own head wrapped around uh, what's been going on. And I've been learning some new stuff, so I thought I'd ramble on a bit, uh, long-winded by nature as usual. But to start off, let's go over the definition of discourse. Thank you, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, as always, for these definitions we're about to use. Definition of discourse number one is a verbal interchange of ideas. Um, This is going to be me just kind of lecturing you. But we also have a formal and orderly and usually extended expression of thought on a subject. I think that's kind of kind of where I, the realm of things I sit inside of, uh, connected speech or writing, a linguistic unit, such as a conversation or story, largely, uh, larger than a sentence, a mode of organized knowledge, ideas, or experience that is rooted in language and is in its concrete context, such as history or institutions. Uh, the archaic use was the capacity of orderly thought or procedure, uh, also known as rationality. And the obsolete form is the social familiarity um, to have discourse with one another. But uh, essentially, you know, discourse is talking about ideas, talking about stuff that's going on. And so I thought I'd almost do, you know, I did a recap episode back on episode 42 to kind of cover the beginnings of the podcast and not uh, as much as a recap for this episode, but just kind of like a catch up of, you know, what have I been, what have I been spouting off about around here? Um, So since episode 42, we talked about love, we talked about faith, purpose, reincarnation, tranquility, listening, passion, ego, magic. Uh, We talked about why and the whole why question set up. We talked about essence, mastery, doubt. And then the last episode, I talked about energy, and that episode really got me into got to, got me into where I am now. So I was using the tarot deck to kind of give myself my own discourse. I was having a little conversation with the tarot deck to kind of describe what I wanted to talk about, what topics I should be talking about, and most recently, I kind of found like I was. I was leaning on that a little too heavily. I was leaning a little bit too much on this whole idea of using the tarot deck to come up with topics. And I came up with a term, um, it's called spacing, uh, chasing spirituality. I was chasing this reference to spirituality through using the tarot deck. And that goes against some of the things I've warned about. You know, I'm all about using tarot decks. I'm all about using astrology. I'm all about learning about oneself and self-awareness by going over your birth chart and other things like that. But we shouldn't lean too heavily upon it. In my personal opinion, we should use it as guides. We should use it as uh, discourse. We should use it as a way of having a conversation with ourselves or even others that kind of has an organized manner to it, but we shouldn't completely rely on it. It's not a good option. Uh, In fact, you would call it a, more than a habit, it could become an addiction to look at your horoscope every day to, you know, 
go into a, a and do it yourself a tarot reading every day. That becomes an addiction. That becomes a habit that is maybe not in your best interest. And we have to be careful with those things. And that's, you know, what most people would warn against when it comes to the woo-woo stuff. But it goes farther than that. We have to warn against that in dogmatic religion. We have to worry, uh, we have to warn against that when we talk about modern medicines and, you know, taking a pill every day just to make your life acceptable. We have to talk about the ideas that ideas in and of themselves can become habitual and can become an addiction. And addiction really is just the classification of things that give us a dopamine reaction that we rely on because we can't get it anyway else. And we've, we've raised our dopamine levels to a point where our serotonin can't match it. And thus our cortisol levels may rise a little bit. Our norepinephrine might come in and get an anxious moment or an anxiety moment that goes along with that as well. So we have to be careful of these things. It's very important for us to pay attention to what are the things you're relying on to get through your daily life? What are they? What do they look like? How are they affecting you overall? And so I thought now would be a good time to kind of take a step back, take a breath, and go over some of the things we've been talking about recently on the podcast, but also the podcast overall. You know, I started this thing out talking about mental health, talking about self-awareness, talking about my experiences and others' experiences that I've talked to. Um, I went over my history, you know, I went over my, my background of sorts, which was, uh, you know, to wrap it up into a very quick, neat package is I have a tragic backstory. You know, I'm one of those characters in a book that maybe isn't the main character, but has a, you know, it's one of those characters that has a tragic backstory that is prudent to the situation at hand. And the situation at hand in modern society is we've, we've lost our way quite a bit. You know, we rely on, insurances and the medical industry here in the West to make our lives better. And, and that's not the right answer. That's not, it's not a long-term acceptable answer. Medical care is not supposed to be something that is the only go-to. There's much more involved in one's own health. And so the podcast took on that representation as well, it took on the representation of what was more of the ancient practices or traditional practices that individuals used to make their lives a little bit more healthier, a little bit more better. And so I started looking at another part of my background, which was stoicism. And with stoicism, I also had, that was my Western influence. My Eastern influence was uh, my martial arts background, tra traditional Chinese medicine, Vedic medicines. And so before I go much farther into that, I'm going to, I'm going to explain a little bit of the, the historical nature that I know about and kind of talk about some of those influences as well. But, you know, again, tragic backstory. Yeah. I had these influences of stoicism and I had, you know, before that, before the, before the, the positive influences came all the tragic influences, you know, sexual abuse. I was sexually abused as a child. I was homeless for a point in time in my life. Um, not homeless. I had a car to live in. So technically I wasn't homeless. I don't say, I shouldn't say I'm homeless. I had a car. I lived in it. Um, in between houses, I guess you should say. Um, but, you know, I was down on my luck in that sense. And I worked 70, 80 hour work weeks to get myself out of that situation. And I, you know, worked multiple different jobs. Um, I grew up fairly poor, as, as poor as you could be in a, uh, an area of the country that is one of the wealthiest areas in the world, um, or wealthiest areas, I shouldn't say in the world, wealthiest areas in the United States of America, which I guess would classify in some sense to being a wealthy area in the world. But I mean, I grew up on a farm. Um, 
my mother was a seamstress. My father was a terrible business owner and, you know, ran a farm into bankruptcy, but he was also a military individual. So I grew up not as I, sometimes I say military brat just to kind of classify it very easily, but I didn't like, I spent some time on bases, but I didn't spend like, you know, I necessarily like live on base and go to school on base and do all that stuff as that would be the more military brat life. But I, you know, I dealt with the military quite often. Like that's what my dad did. That was more of his full-time job than even his full-time jobs. Uh, he was very much a military person. And I also had the background of having a very strict religious, um, upbringing in certain senses. My father's parents were very religious. In fact, um, my grandmother once sat me down and asked about reading the Harry Potter series and told me that it was blasphemy and that I wasn't allowed to do that. My mother was a horrible mother for, you know, not horrible mother, but my mother was wrong in the sense that she was letting me read those books and I should read the Left Behind series and, and not read the Harry Potter series and that I should know they're not real and they were blasphemous and that was the work of the devil. Um, they also wouldn't celebrate my birthday because it fell on Easter and we should celebrate the Lord's day and not my birthday. That should be a separate, uh, situation. Um, things like that. I, you know, I also was a fat kid. You know, I, I grew up as a, just a, just extremely overweight, unhealthy, not, actually not even, no, I was pretty unhealthy. Um, you can't even say that. Uh, so, you know, I, I grew up in the prejudice of being a fat kid in, in a time and period of the world where that wasn't okay. Um, you know, fat kids got made fun of you know, being out of breath on the, on the, um, Foursquare court was not cool, you know, and not beyond that. I also had very much a different perspective on life. I was very much into sci-fi and into fantasy and dungeons and dragons. And I wasn't big into music though. So like I didn't fit in with the music kids. I just didn't fit in very well in general. So small pieces altogether. I just say, yeah tragic backstory, right? Um, I suffered from depression in the grand sense of the psychological evaluation of which, you know, would happen in the medical industry to be diagnosed with diagnosed depression, not the depression I classify now. Uh, two suicide attempts, uh, many nights spent thinking about it. So just, just a general tragic backstory. How I came out of that tragic backstory and into the story that I tell nowadays is through discourse. Um, through conversations with other individuals who knew more than me or had a different outlook from me. And with that came this understanding that, you know, I was never going to be rich, right? I, I grew up in a, a poor family. I was never going to be rich. And thus travel was out of the question. I've never really taken a grand adventure in my life as far as uh, vacations go. Uh, I don't really take vacations. I don't do well with them. I, I'm very much a workaholic, very much a introverted by the by follow the schedule for the most part um stay at home but that also comes from my tragic backstory of like i never really had a safe home to begin with so now that i have my own home leave me the fuck alone i want to be in my home by myself because now i finally get to enjoy it you know 20 some later 20 i forget how long it was but you know 20 i think it was 28 years later i finally had a place where i could be like oh i can lock the door behind me and there's no one else here and it's fairly safe and fairly comfortable and i don't have to worry about anyone bothering me that's awesome so with all of that um like i was talking about my eastern and western influences from a very young age i read marcus aurelius's meditation i also studied uh, greek philosophy i was really into um uh 
just the stories of the Greek mythologies, but mythology in general. I was very much into fantasy and all that stuff. And not just like looking at fantasy worlds, but like, where do they get the ideas from? Oh, they got them from like the Greek myths or the Norse myths. And then I've spent a lot of time studying my genetical background and where I come from or where the people who came before me came from. And I have a lot of uh, North mythology uh, connections as far as uh, historical record of where my, the my genetical lineage comes from which is mostly north germanic bit of a mud of the world but a lot of it is the north germanic tribes and you know with that also the the scottish tribes and the what we call the druidic orders um, as far as the mystery schools go so just looking into who i was in that sense gave me a great starting off point of, you know, what to look at. And that's where I think the interesting side of astrology and even uh, beyond that with uh, both Western astrology and Eastern astrology and looking at what your sun sign is and where your, your birth chart lines up, but also looking at, you know, the Eastern stuff of the Zodiac and all of these different things that give you just insight, just insight into who you might be as a person that really changed the dynamic of how I looked at myself and gave me the ability to maybe be a little bit more of an important character in my own story. And I think that's a very tough thing for anyone of any age to kind of figure out. I think there's quite a bit of story writing happening in the modern era with social dynamics of Facebook and, you know, just social media in general that doesn't allow for us to be that much of our own, um, our own story. You know, we're, we're constantly shoved into other people's stories or side characters here or side characters there. We don't get to be in our own story very often. And so the moments in which we are in our own story are very much up to us. And in that sense, a lot of people are quite closed off. You know, what do you do when the door locks behind you at the end of the night? Can you even lock the door behind you? Do you have a place where you get to do that, where you get to shut out the world and do your thing? For the longest time, for me, it was in a martial arts studio. I, I got to leave the world behind when I walked into class and just leave it at the door. That was one of the rules we kind of followed was like, you leave, leave the outside world at the door. It's training time. It's time to focus on us and focus on our training and, and do that stuff. So I took that even into work you know, where I would just leave the outside world at the door. When I walked into work, show up on time, dress, ready to go with, with a good attitude and a willingness to learn. Those are my rules for being a good employee because following those rules made me a great employee. And I, I found I got a lot of good positive feedback in that sense. Maybe not a raise, but like a little leniency here, take this home, grab an extra hoagie at the restaurant or, you know, that makes a huge difference for somebody who's not making a lot of money, doesn't have their own home and is living out of their car. You know, Hey, grab a shower. Nobody pays attention. Hose off in the backyard. Nobody's paying attention, that kind of stuff. So with all of that, I was in this situation where I was able to get a lot of influences uh, from different angles without having to travel. I was being able to surround myself with multiple different cultures and people and almost traveling in a sense by not traveling, by staying introverted, but having discourse, having conversations with people, having verbal interchange of ideas with people from all around the world, all from all different walks of life, from all different backgrounds and situations. And I started to find these commonalities. I started to find 
parts and pieces of stories that were similar to mine or fit together with mine or were so vastly different than mine that I could learn something from it or have questions about it. And through those interchanges, I started to find out that, oh, we are very connected. We are very much human or what we're trying to be is human. There's this classification that we call human. And I, I don't necessarily believe we fit it. Um, overall, I mean, if you want to know my personal beliefs on a lot of stuff, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily believe in humanity. I think we're, we're a terrible fucking species and we've done a lot of wrong. We've done, a, we've, we've done a lot of bad and I don't know if we've done enough good to make up for that. Or if it's even possible at this point to do enough good to make up for that, maybe it's maybe we've wrote we maybe we've wrote the check and it's all over. You know, the purchase has been made, and now we have to kind of sit on it. But overall, at an individual microcosmic level, I find that I was able to connect with people readily and and without much effort. I'm able to make conversation happen or discourse happen, and. By doing that, I found there is this substantial difference between the connections that we have with one another and this thing known as depression or how I classify depression, not the depression that we clinically diagnose, but the depression that I classify, which is it's uniquely who you are. It's uniquely how you see the world. It's uniquely how you get by. Uh, and so I went chasing chasing rainbows and chasing uh, fuzzy rabbits and uh, probably should have done drugs to help figure it out, but I didn't. Um, I had a bout of, you know, I guess classically it would have been considered alcoholism, but, you know, I had a bout where I was working in restaurants, working 80, 70, 80 hours a week, and I was drinking every night and not necessarily heavily, like I wasn't blacking out or anything like that, but it was a regular use of alcohol. And then there was a regular use of marijuana. And then there was a regular use of alcohol and marijuana. And so not that I've necessarily dealt with addiction, but I have an addictive personality in that sense. And then the, that was another connecting factor that was like, oh, well, you know, look at all these fucking people around me that have the same issues, but never get the chance to look at those issues. They, they, there's just no way for them to come out of the situation they're in and have the ability or time to even look at that. And that's the necessity of figuring out what this thing was for depression was. I was like, there's got to be a way that I've always been able to look at my situation and go, okay, whoa, whoa, we've gone way hard to the left here or way hard to the right or way hard up and way hard down. You know, the, the roller coaster is way too fucking big. And I classified this idea as a teenager um, and I called it contentness. I, I called it just being content. There was... There's no way to deal with myself and my situation. Um, I, I very much wanted to die all the time. I just, I just wanted it to be over because there literally was no option for it getting better. It was, I was surrounded by um, individuals who I didn't feel cared about me. I didn't feel like my family gave a shit at all. In fact, I was sexually abused by a family member. So, and oddly enough, I found out later that that family member was also sexually abused by another family member. And then I had to go down the whole rabbit hole of learning that that's a pretty fucking common thing to happen. Um, so with that, I also had, you know, a family where I was the last one of many and the age gaps were gigantic as far as my siblings went and my parents were divorced and they weren't fucking happy. And, 
there was just all of this combined, uh, just necrotic nature. It was just, it was a, a necessary death. Everything was dying. You know, the family was dying. I was, I wanted to die. The, the, the opportunities were dying. I was very much in a situation where like, there was no way I was going to go to college. Uh, and I did somehow, and I took a big loan to do it and it just didn't work out. Um, I had a, a pretty bad accident. When I was uh, 17, I broke my femur in a car accident. I had two other individuals in the car with me, ruined their fucking lives. One of them broke a, a leg and an ankle. Another one broke an arm. And, you know, that just, that ended their, the, their opportunities got fucking just cut in half right there. Cause I, I, I messed up their lives and I took that really hard. Um, and no, I don't want any pity for that. I fucked up. I, I hit a tree with a car. I happened to hit a tree that was filled with cement because the person that owned that property decided that was a good fucking idea. So there was just all of these things that were just compounding all the time. And yet there was these opportunities of flashes of like, oh, maybe it doesn't have to be this way. And that's the statement of depression is, is you can sit on one side of depression or you can realize that depression itself is also duality or, or trinity, as I've described in the uh, other podcast episodes, that there isn't just two sides of anything. There's multitudes of grays and blacks and whites. And, and, and then eventually you, you know, maybe you start to add color in and you get this vibrant understanding that there's not just one classification. It's impossible just to classify something as one thing, because if you classify something as one thing, you're using the opposite idea to classify it. If you measure something, there must be no measurement. And these are the statements that I used to get thrown at uh, or used to be thrown at me during my martial arts lessons. And, you know, the Chinese martial arts specifically have these very interesting um, methodologies for teaching. And they also have a lot of interesting practices as far as, you know, uh, statements or the, the teachers often really like to come up with like weird ways to say something because they're trying to make you think. And I was always very curious as like, where does this stuff come from and, and how do they, they come up with these stories or ideas or ways to say things? And then I started studying Buddhism um, because eventually I got into the Shaolin methods. My, my background in martial arts is very much Shaolin. And at first I had no idea what that meant. I just thought it was the cool stuff that, you know, the Wu-Tang Clan talked about and uh, the B-rated martial arts movies I got to watch. But I eventually, uh, in, in more modern day to, you know, very recently, have now finally gotten a very good understanding. I wouldn't say great understanding, but I have gotten a pretty good understanding of what the Shaolin uh, methods are. And so more recently I've, I've, I don't want to say upgraded, but I've had to re-delve back into my past, re-delve back into the things I've learned, re-delve even into the episodes of the podcast I've done. Um, you know, we're, we're a little bit over a year now of doing this and that's part of the Shaolin methodology. And it's nothing I had ever applied to mental health, self-awareness, spirituality. And so I'm finding myself hitting this point where like, oh shit, like I learned how to do this. Uh, it's called Nagong. It's the internal practices of martial arts. And I teach Tai Chi and Qigong, but there's a massive difference between what Qigong is and what Nagong is. Um, Qigong is the practice of, of the Nagong, but specifically for health and um, 
longevity. That, that's it, it's it's health practices. It's using nagong specifically for therapeutic and health practices. Nagong, the internal practices, is the practice of the internal cultivation, both for it, it covers the gamut. It covers body, mind, and spirit health. It's, it's all three things. And so when thinking about where you are in your life or in your story, I, I, I would encourage someone to look at fuck the outcome, fuck the beginning. What's, what's the meat of the story? Where's the middle of the story right now? Are you even in it? Have you really gotten there? Like I spent a large amount of my time just thinking about the end of the story, just thinking about like, all right, let's get to the close. Let's wrap this up, pull the curtains, call it a day. And the reality is at the time, you're not thinking about that. Like you're not thinking about like, oh, okay, all you're thinking about here now is the end of the story. And by doing so you're ruining that part of the story almost by focusing the middle of the story on the end of the story. You're just trying to foreshadow the whole bit and get to the end. And, and that's not how stories get written. So with that in mind, I've been looking back at, all right, what is, what are these things I've learned, right? What are these, these ideas? How would I, how would I bring that into a very small marketable package uh, and marketable, I mean, like, you know, the elevator pitch, the, uh, if somebody asks you, like, you know, tell me about yourself kind of stuff. I can always say, like, oh, yeah, sexually abused, uh, had to live out of my car for a while, family didn't give a shit about me. Um, and not, I mean, maybe that's not even an appropriate statement. Didn't get along with my family, didn't connect. Um, very few friends, depressed, blah, blah. You know, like, I can, I can list all that. But that was really only the beginning of the story, right? So I have to look at the possibility that everybody who talks about like, oh, you'll understand when you get older is right and wrong. You'll understand when you get older when you look back, right? When you look at different stages of your life. And so I would also encourage at this point, you know, when talking about like what part of the story are you looking at? when I said, you know, fuck the end and fuck the beginning and look at like where you're at now with that, I would then encourage like, okay, once you get that down, like, okay, what part of the story are you looking at here? Then look back and look at what is, what is the story? What is it? You know, we don't really look at people's stories until they're published. And by publishing a story, you die. That's, that's what death is. It's publishing a story of it's, it's publishing your biography. And you can take all of the self-centered ideas of like, oh, you know, what do I want my legacy to be? Or what do I want people to remember about me? And that's great. That's a, it's an interesting way to look at it. But I challenge how much that matters now, right? I challenge what you want people to remember about you as a concept. What do you want to remember about yourself? What do you want to look back on about yourself? Like your story is your story. We're constantly worried about what other people think. And that's, it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter in the sense of like 
they get to decide how they look at the story. Everyone gets to look at a story differently and pick out pieces that more resonate with them. But the story's yours. So is the perspective. So is the perception. So like all of these things I've ever talked about in the list of all the episodes I've done so far, I'm just giving my, my reflection of it. And when I was learning martial arts, that's one of the things you have to break yourself of or break yourself of to become a better student, to become a teacher, to become a better teacher is to break yourself of mirroring. If all you do is mirror the individual that taught you, you're just a reflection of the mirror, right? You're just a reflection of that person. It doesn't mean you learned anything. That's not to say that you shouldn't take what they taught you and use it. Like very often I use the same verbiage or the same vernacular that my teachers use because they, they use really good terminologies or they use really good examples. But at some point you have to make the methodologies your own or create new methodologies. In fact, what I've done is blasphemy. I've in the traditional sense of uh, wushu and martial arts in the Chinese sense, I've blended multiple styles together to create a, a, my own Tai Chi short form. That's what I teach. I teach a blended non-traditional modified um, Tai Chi short form. I add a little fun in, I add a little, you know, like, I add self-awareness to my teaching style. I want people to become aware of themselves, aware of their bodies, how they're moving, because that's the truest practice of the internal arts is it's all Nagong. I would argue at this point, having learned what I've learned so far, um, from everything from Tai Chi to Qigong to the five animal uh, Shaolin methods to the Northern Shaolin versus Southern Shaolin, um, even just in the praying mantis forms, uh, my Hungar tiger background, uh, Chowgar tiger, uh, Garmin's family, so it's Chow family, Hung family. Um, Wing Chun in multiple different lineages. Um, I've done everything from Cantonese to Hong Kong to um, Benny Mang's um, Ving Sun Museum Wing Chun. I've done Hecky Boning Chung, which is the Black Flag Society stuff. Uh, jiu Jitsu, Judo, uh, Bushido, uh, Kenjutsu. Um, some karate ishin real um i've seen you know i've had so many experiences in a vast array of different martial arts um kali eskrima um modern arness uh salat Silgayun, um for just just general like you know greco-roman wrestling grappling um just a, a huge amount that with all of those different pieces under my belt, pun intended, I didn't learn shit because I didn't have a different understanding. I didn't have an outside view. I had just a lot of mirroring and it was all great and it was all awesome. And I've met some amazing people and there's some great teachers out there, but the problem comes when that's all you own is all you own is the mirror or the reflection. I'm sorry that you and the reflection of what you learn. And so the adage is to take the mirror and flip the mirror and look at yourself in the mirror and look at what is it that I learned? And in fact, I learned an amazing amount of skills and uh, abilities and it, it culminates into what I do in my body work and what I do as a therapeutic body worker. 
until recently, I didn't understand what all that was about. And now that I found um, some methodologies that I had known but didn't really understand and I'm starting to understand, a lot's starting to come together. And this is where I come up with that, you know, when I'm talking about with stories and like what part of the story are we in. Sometimes it just takes time. It just takes experience or effort or more of something till we can actually get a better understanding of it. Um, so recently I've been focused on what's known as Nagong. Nagong is the internal practices. And specifically I've been focusing on the Shaolin Nagong practices. And one of the things they talk about is their different stages, right? Um, and when I, when I originally learned Hekibon Eng Chun, when I learned Black Flag Society Wing Chun, I, they had a, they have a set of stages, um, and they break everything down into three. There's these three stages, right? So there's, uh, they classify them as um, earth, human, heaven, or heaven, human, earth, however you want to put it. And they classify the first, I believe it's 33 years of your life. Or maybe they go, they might actually go farther. Doesn't really matter. But they have stages of life. Like, you know, you have infant, adolescent, adolescent including like you know 30s uh and then adult so they, they have these classifications of your life and they're they're really like they're long periods 33 years maybe, maybe it's 66 years i forget how they classified but there's these long periods and like the same thing goes for how you learn anything you know you have this can also be reflected in uh, when we look at the bell curve situation of mastery, you, know, you have the beginner who thinks they know everything, and then you have the intermediate who thinks they know nothing, and then the master who knows a lot of things but doesn't care about it. Um, so yeah, there's there's multiple different ways to learn, like look at this, and everyone has kind of a different picture of how to look at it. But in recent uh, training, I've looked at the Shaolin Nagong practices, and they have methodologies to actually look at, you know, where are you on this journey? And then they also have depth. So it's called, it's called having breath, breath, breath is like, you know, width of the shoulder width, um, and then depth. And the best part about all of it is when you get to a certain depth, you can take it out to width or when you get to a certain width, you can take it out to depth. So there's this constant relearning, constantly looking back at, constantly. And I thought it was just a really good understanding of what self-awareness really looks like, right? So I've done a bunch of episodes on mental health. I've done a bunch of episodes on self-awareness. And I've most recently done a bunch of episodes on spirituality. And to classify how I started looking at things from my Stoic background and also from my traditional Chinese medicine and Vedic medicine backgrounds and just ancient medicine in general, studies of Paracelsus, studies of Iamblichus, studies of um, the Tao Te Ching and other philosophical works, I classify us beings as uh, a body, a mind, and a spirit, right? So we have three classifications there. And the interplays in which those things work together are very important. And the classifications I give as an overview over the last couple episodes is we have the combination of body and mind, how the mind uh, translates for the body. That's called heart. That's, you know, when we talk about pulls on my heartstrings or, you know, it came from the heart or that's heart, right? So body and mind connected, that's heart. Spirit and mind connected or the way that mind translates for the spirit, we call that soul. That's to have a soul or to be soulful or to be of soul. Uh, I've never yet classified 
soul and heart. And I'm still not ready to do so. I don't know when I'm going to be ready to do so. I don't know if, if that's, you know, something that should be just boom done. I think it should take time because I'm starting to learn what that equation looks like, right? So if you make a statement and you have to redact the statement, that was a wrong statement. And we've seen a lot of that in modern society. We've seen a lot of redactment. We've seen a lot of people being wrong, but saying shit and, you know, having to backpedal or backtrack and just getting away with it. And that's not, that's not right action. That's not right mind. That doesn't follow the Buddhist eightfold path. It doesn't follow the Dharmic wheel bearing body. It doesn't even follow, you know, Kant or um, Hobbes or, um, and pick a, uh, um, I'm blanking on my Western society philosophy uh, right now, but it doesn't follow what we know as first principle thinking. We, it doesn't follow any philosophical thinking whatsoever. It's agenda based. It's bullshit based. And it's, it's, it, I, I don't even have a good classification for it because it's become so prevalent in the way the world's run that the point has diminished. And so I can only look now towards what's known as the Nagong arts or Nagong in general and its philosophical representation as well. It's, it's body, mind, and spirit representation that going into whatever we're going into at this point, it's very important to have discourse with yourself. And I think I might do more further episodes that are just called discourse. You know, I like to keep a, a concentric, just singular um, title for my episodes, one word. But I think I might do multiple of these discourse episodes. Because this idea of discourse, verbal interchange of ideas, formal and orderly and usually extended expressions of thought on a subject, connected speech or writing, a linguistic unit larger than a sentence, uh, such as a conversation or a story, a mode of organizing knowledge, ideas, or experience that is rooted in language and is concrete context, such as history or, or institutions, the capacity of orderly thought or procedure, also known as rationality, or what I find very interesting as a definition, the obsolete use of the word discourse meant social familiarity. When was the last time you were social with yourself? Do you have social familiarity with yourself? If I told you to give me the elevator pitch of what your life is, have you updated it in the last five years? Again, my elevator pitch in my life used to be a tragic, shitty fucking story. Still is kind of a tragic, shitty fucking story, but it's a little better than it used to be. And in some cases, I've just kind of left some of it behind. I don't bring up certain things, but they're all very prudent to who I am. So at some point, they must come up in the conversation. If I was ever going to have a, a solid relationship with someone, these are things they need to know about me. But overall, I find that I have multiple different discourses as far as who I am to myself, who I am to other people, what's what's necessary for other people to understand. In my, in my business, in my professional life, it's very unnecessary for people to get my background as far as where my methodologies and uh, abilities came from. You know, they need to know about my martial arts background and my traditional Chinese medicine training, my, my Vedic medicine training. They need to know about my, my, just my bodywork 
profession in general, my training with the fascial system, um, and then also the the other pieces of my training that come into uh, importance or import, which is you know knowing things about the Western medical system and how the neurological system works and how the endocrine system works and and you know the interplay of dopamine, serotonin, cortisol, and norepinephrine as far as the big four chemicals go. Um, my understanding of the vagus nervous system and how that works with the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system of the central nervous system, your conscious and subconscious uh, methodologies, my research into sleep and how important it is, uh, my research into altered states of being as far as measurable brainwave patterns such as the delta, theta, uh, beta, and alpha brainwave sets and what those do to the body or its functions. So all of that becomes very relevant, but I have to kind of, you know, condense it into a, a little conversation or a little bit of a discourse so that they can feel more comfortable with me or, you know, have confidence that I'm able to do the things they, they're asking me to do if I'm the right fit for them or the right match. And the same goes for um, if I'm going to have a business relationship with someone as far as like, a you know, my landlord or my, you know, or if I needed an investor or if I needed a banker or a lawyer or an accountant, if I was looking for a new friend or if I was looking for um, my own, uh, looking for someone else to, you know, have a, a professional relationship as far as like, oh, I need you to do therapy work for me. If I needed a chiropractor, if I needed a doctor. So there's multiple different pieces, right? There's multiple different pieces to the story. There's multiple perspectives of the story. There's multiple different parts of the story that become prudent. But that's the macrocosm. What's the microcosm? What's the discourse with yourself? What's the social familiarity you have with yourself? I've kid myself for a very long time to say I have some social familiarity with myself just because I'm an introvert and I spend a lot of time alone. Well, the reality of that has become very much bullshit. Um, I'm very much ambiverted. If you put me in a social situation, I'm a fucking blast. I'm a great time, you know. I just don't want to be there all the time. In fact, I'd rather spend time alone because it's when I get the most enjoyment of being truly who I am. I'm not truly a social person. It's not who I am as a person. It's not what I want to be. In the social events, I'm very much an entertainer, which is a piece of me, but only a small piece of me. So the running joke that I used to give people was, uh, I give everybody about 5%. And if you give enough people in a room, you might have 25% of who I actually am. That's my own damn fault. But I'm also okay with it. So I can't, ex my expectations have to match that. My expectations have to match that. No, I don't have very many personal close relationships. Um, I'm okay with that. Is that a byproduct of my childhood? Probably absolutely, that I didn't have a lot of close personal relationships with my family members. Those people who you typically would build that ability with. I didn't have that. So that discourse that social familiarity with myself has to happen, it has to be a, a revolving conversation that needs to be updated regularly. And this is what I mean about the whole story analogy of like, what's wh what part of the story are you in? If it's a historical document of who you are, what 
era of the history are we in? Are we in the, you know, feudal age? Are we in the bronze age? Are we in the, the, um, post-industrial? Are we in the revolution? Are we, you know, what part of the historical record of your life are you in? And have you looked back at the other pieces to know that you're in a different age? Because we do that macrocosmically and microcosmically. You know, when the storybooks are written about this time period of the 2020s or even just the, you know, 2000 into now, the last 20 some years, I don't think there's going to be a very positive spin on it. I think it's going to be a time of turmoil and mis- uh, misunderstandings and, 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 and bad discourse. I don't think we get a positive connotation. Remember how I like to take the connotation out of things. If we're just taking the connotation out of the last 20 years, the connotation is upgrades for the sake of upgrades. If I really wanted to get into it and I really wanted to be, you know, full discourse, full forum, full, no hard, you know, no, not holding anything back. The twenties are the, the 2020s, or the first 20 years of 2000, really the last 20 years in the history books are going to be a tale of powerful, be powerful people doing bad shit to make themselves more powerful. And if we look back, that's history in general. And this is why I'm not sold on the idea of humanity. We're not really accomplishing what it is we call to be human. And so I think it's, it's really important that everyone, rich, poor, of any walk of life, of any nationality, of any cultural representation, look at their social familiarity with themselves and ask themselves hard questions. And then take those questions out and have those conversations and have that discourse with other people. Because that's how we create connection. And by creating connection, we can get better understandings. And so I've always had an idea of, you know, we're all connected. And to define that, to define the idea that we're all connected, I had to come up with the opposite. Because in order to define something, to give something structured, remember I talk about chaos, creation, order, and destruction, to create something, to create an idea has to have two sides because it has to be a measurement and the greater the measurement the greater the idea so in order to create the idea that we're all connected i had to find the greatest piece that makes us not and i call that depression And that's why I say your depression is so uniquely who you are that no one else can ever understand it. And by giving that statement, by giving the statement that there is something that exists in the human system, the connection of mind, body, and spirit, body, mind, spirit, spirit, mind, body, however you want to put it, that makes you so uniquely your own connection of those three things. You can thus be connected to everything. Because if you have unique individuality, you can then have infinitely unique connections. And so I found the biggest dipole. I found the biggest measurement from one side to the other, as far as I can tell. That there's this thing known as depression, and that 
thing known as depression is what makes us uniquely who we are. So it gives us uniqueness. It gives us individuality. That same thing is what allows us to have connection to everything and everyone. That we have a unique way in which we view the world and it's called our depression is what allows us to all together be connected as this thing we're trying to call human. And unfortunately, in this modern world that we live in, there are individuals who don't want that to exist because they don't want to give up control. They don't want to give up the idea that they are somehow better because they're not. The fact that they have to use underhanded coercion, corruption, financial disaster and ruin and fruition the fact that they're not able to give up control means they're not better. And in fact is the measurement that makes them the lowest of the low and the worst of the worst. They're just so good at dividing us that we never see it. So I challenge everyone in this discourse, this formal and orderly and usually extended expression of thought on a subject to look at those individuals around you, below, above, beside, that are drawing divisional lines. And I want you to approach those people calmly, rationally, with compassion, and make them answer why. Remember, why is a spiritual question? Why is a subjective question? Why are they dividing you? Why are they drawing divisional lines? Why? Because there are none. There are only those that we make. We have to define them. And by defining one, we define the other. If we choose to define that there's a divisional line of skin color, there's no skin color. There's just skin. In fact, there's just this thing known as, uh, I always get it wrong. I always say melatonin. It's not melatonin. It's melatin. Mel sorry, melanin. There's a use of melanin in the body that gives us skin tone. It's really just how, you've, uh, how you use your vitamin C, vitamin D, and all the other things that make up this melanin connection. It has something to do with all these other cycles and stuff. So, yeah, that, that answer can go out the window. Um, Cultural divisional lines. Okay. Yeah. No, that's if someone's willing to put that out there, we can have a better conversation that they're, they're xenophobic in the sense that they only know their cultural representation and they're a little worried and scared about losing that. And okay, let's, let's have that real conversation that the reality of the situation there is that like, yes, you grew up in a culture or a representative situation that was, that was safe and felt comfortable to you. And to lose that would be, it would be, hurtful to that individual. It would, it would kind of flip their understanding upside down and they don't know how to rationalize or go through that. And that's a very scary process. So the answer is the, their why is they're scared and it's okay to be scared. So don't attack them for that at all. Don't absolutely don't attack them, 
But if someone is at a point in their life where they can look at the story and they can go, oh shit, I'm just really fucking scared. That's a great moment for everyone, for someone to realize that. Because anyone who's scared can be helped. You can help someone through their fears. Fear is a temporary situation. Fear is an idea of not understanding. And so along with this discourse of the idea that you should look at people who are drawing divisional lines and ask them why, you should also have compassion for the individuals doing so. Because when we look at the idea of someone who's drawing divisional lines, it's, it's typically a representation that they're just doing that because they, been, they've been told it's the right thing to do. People who grew up racist were raised in homes in which they were taught racism is okay. What they weren't taught is there's no such thing as race. Race is a bullshit word. We have a species and we have those individuals in the species who have slightly different genetical coding that turns melanin into a function of a color of their skin. That's, that's what's going on. The things that we classify as race are just a, a representation of the genetical system of the human genome using melanin to color the skin a certain color or another. The idea of race is something we created out of fear because we didn't understand the differentiation. We didn't know what this meant. And so when that fear occurred, those in power used that power to then draw that divisional line as much as possible because it gave them more power. You can debate if that was right or wrong for your own discussion. You can have your own discourse about that. And in fact, you should. With that, we have the idea of cultural representation of being a very scary thing to be Asian, to be European, to be African, to be American, to be, these are cultural ideas and the cultural ideas are represented by the religious beliefs and the religious understandings, but also the similarities of look classification. This is how we come up with the idea of xenophobia to be xenophobic is to fear or be scared of those things that are outside your culture. Your culture is People that look like you, people that act like you, people who talk like you, people who do the same things you do. And so inside of cultures, we get subcultures and classifications. And thus, as a, as a whole, we've become very good at finding the very smallest niche to put ourselves in because that is the safest place to be. And why wouldn't someone want to be safe, right? We've, that's a human trait to be safe. It's an animalistic trait, actually, to find a home somewhere where you can go in and generally be safe that the predators at the door stay at the door that the predators can't get into the burrow far enough they can't get into the cave far enough to attack us to take our things to to kill us so oddly enough there is this fear of death but there's many deaths if i've learned anything in my chinese martial arts uh or my study of philosophy is specifically in the study of buddhism both chan and zen buddhism there are many, many deaths. And when we fear death, we become xenophobic towards death, which means we've given death a connotation, and that's not an appropriate situation when it comes to self-awareness, mental health, spirituality. We have to better 
our understandings. We have to look at things deeper. We have to look at ourselves more. And I don't know how many different ways I can put it to come up to that same conclusion. That somewhere, something's going to break. Because we've, we've forced it to. We have forced the agendas of the few on the many. And when you do that, things will break. And when they do, the amount of pressure must go somewhere. In fact, the best understanding of the world that I've ever come up with as far as universal understanding of how things work is the, the universe is constantly seeking balance. Um, this is a truth that most mystery schools all agree upon. Most martial arts agree upon it. Um, most philosophical schools, most mystery schools. I, I say most, but really all agree on it. It's a principality idea. It's a principal idea of the world, of the universe, that everything is seeking balance all the time. It does that asymmetrically. We have one lung bigger than the other. Um, females have one breast that's larger than the other, usually. Um, the which side changes. We have an ocular function of one eye that we use uh, to focus on more rarely than the other. We have one hand more dominant than the other. We have, So there's always this asymmetrical dominance in one way or another because without that we couldn't have non-dominant. You know, So the world, the universe is seeking balance. How it does that is asymmetrically. When you break the cycle of asymmetry, when you go too far and come out of asymmetry, and just become non-symmetric. When you, when you become one side has all and the other side has none, you break balance. Right? Because to be in balance must be to be out of balance. That's, that's the truest statement of duality, right? When we talk about duality, all of the historical, philosophical, religious, any connotation, any denotation, any understanding, any representation of balance... Balance must be unbalanced for it to be balanced. That's, you know, that's, that's what all these things talk about. So we have what's known as asymmetry. And asymmetry can only go so far until it becomes non-asymmetric and it becomes unbalanced. And when something is unbalanced, it must come back to balance. And the more you push it in unbalanced, the quicker and more violently it must become back to balance. That is the idea of the Nagong practices. That is the idea of the martial practice, not martial arts, the martial practices. Neigong is martial. Qigong is a martial art. It is a therapeutic representation of the internal arts. Thus, it is a martial art. Neigong is martial. It is martialism. And that includes violence. And thus, if you push something so far out of asymmetry that it becomes unbalanced completely, the definition of it is now defined as unbalanced, it will violently refer itself back to balance. And so the pressure builds and builds and builds. And when that pressure is released, the more pressure that is put, put behind that, what the world, the universe does, is called pressure motivation, pressure balancing. Motivation is the idea of finding balance inside of those pressure systems. When that occurs in nature with weather patterns, we have massive storms. We have violent reactions of weather when you have a massive high pressure system and another massive high pressure system and they meet each other they cannot pass they are high pressure systems and thus they meet they will seek out 
low pressure to dissipate, to become balanced. And when they, when those two high pressure systems find one low pressure area, they both will rush towards it. And it is violent reaction. This is where we get massive storms. We get hail, we get tornadoes, we get hurricanes, tsunamis. Uh, well, tsunamis are the displacement of water, but it creates a large wave. But these are where these weather events come from, is when these pressure systems meet and dissipate into each other. And the same thing happens in the human system. My entire job, well, not my entire job, but a, a majority of my job is dealing with the pressure sy systems in the body. The pressure motiv motivation of how the muscles work with the tendons and the ligaments and the skeletal system and how stress and you know how the endocrine system pushes cortisol into, you know, muscle reaction or the muscle memory. Uh, you have more memory cells in the rest of the body combined than you do in your brain. So all of these things go into a pressure motivation that I deal with when I do my body work on people. The same goes for when we do uh, Nagong or use Qigong practice because Qigong, remember, Qigong is the Nagong practice in a healing therapeutic realm. We can use Qigong healing on someone. That's where the definition of Qigong first came from, to use Nagong internal arts specifically for a therapeutic change. So you can do quote-unquote energy work on an individual. That has to do with pressure motivation. In fact, the electricity that we use in our daily lives is pressure motivation. It's when the dielectric crosses over the, mag I'm sorry, when magnetism crosses over the dielectric, we get uh, we get electricity. That's where electricity comes from. That massive amount of information I just threw at you, because it was a lot, is a pressure. And so what you do with it is a motivation. You must find balance in, in these new understandings, these new ideas. And to do that, we need to have discourse. We need to have conversation, verbal interchange of ideas, both with ourselves and others. And the biggest problem comes when those discourses are not allowed. And so we have the things I've talked about many, many times and the things I bitch about constantly and I stand on my soapbox about, which is chaos came first. The biggest lie that was ever told was that creation came first. This is the lie most religions tell, specifically the Abrahamic religions, that creation was the first thing. And thus you should worship that idea of it. You had a creator and that's not true. Chaos came first. Infinite possibility came first. You can believe in creation. That's absolutely okay that you had a creator. That's no problem there. But you cannot have just that representation that creation is the only and justice and most beautiful and first thing. It's not true. For creation to occur, there must have been infinite possibility because the idea of creation is to give something structure. Once something is structured, we can then order it. We can give it something. We can fill it with something. This is the balance. This is the pressure motivation situation. This is how time flows. This is how function works. That's called ordering, typically represented by the yin-yang symbol. And then after that, we have destruction. Once something is ordered, it becomes perfect, unless it is destroyed and stops being one thing and becomes maybe something else. Or if something becomes so distantly unbalanced, it must find new balance, and thus the unbalance itself must be destroyed to bring us back to balance. And thus we return it to chaos. We return it to infinite possibility. So infinite possibility, chaos, came first. But we have all four pieces. They are known as the primordials, chaos, creation, order, destruction. Those are our, our four primordials, and they are what's known as a cycle. 
They don't exist in and outside of themselves, but they are in themselves all the same thing. Inside of chaos, we have creation, order, and destruction. Inside of creation, we have order, destruction, and chaos. And outside of order, we have destruction, chaos, and creation. Inside of destruction, we have chaos, creation, and order. That is what makes them cyclical. The fact that they can have the cycles inside of themselves, which then makes them primordial because they are cyclical by nature, which gives them principal representation. And thus chaos is looking for balance. Creation is looking for balance. Balance is looking for balance and destruction is looking for balance. And they all do that as an interplay of themselves together in one. This is the story of alchemy. This is the story of Neigong. This is the story of um, Kung Fu or, or Gong Fu, the practice of the, the effort or the way of effort. This is the practice of the Tao Te Ching known as Taoism, um, which came first, who knows? This is the practice of all systems, of all mysteries, of all truths, of all perspectives. This is the practice of change. All the things that I talked about in the very beginning of this podcast. This is the story of death. That there was infinite possibility. And if you want to believe the Buddhist scriptures or the Hindu scriptures or the Taoist scriptures or the Jainist scriptures or even if you take the form of creation out of the Abrahamic religions that God puts you here, that you instead chose to be here, maybe for your God, that's totally fine to understand it that way. Then we come up with this idea of incarnation, not reincarnation. Reincarnation is another part of the cycle, but incarnation to be created. You put a spirit inside of a mind, give it consciousness, and that mind rules over its physical form known as the body. This is Iamblichus's um, conversation on the vehicle of the soul. Remember, the soul is the connection between the spirit and the mind, the spirit and consciousness. So with all of that, again, even more, more information, more understanding, create pressure motivation there. I go back to the conversation, the discourse about if you find someone or if you yourself are someone who are trying to draw divisional lines, you must ask why and why is a spiritual question. You must look for the spirituality behind that answer. Because I think you will actually struggle to define a why. Unless you look at one of the greatest lies ever told. And one of the greatest lies ever told was the lie of creation. The creation came first. And with that lie came the next big lie. Maybe even a bigger lie. That war is the answer. There doesn't have to be a war. It doesn't have to exist. War is the balance to all of the other pressure motivations all of the other pressure factors that are bringing us unbalance. Where's the answer to that? To bring us back into balance. Until most recently where they fucked up. And by they, I mean the royal they, those at the top that create wars, that propagate wars, and that want war. They used war in the last, I'm going to say century, for profit, for power, for lies. They use war to put them higher up the pole, 
put them higher up the pyramid, put them higher up the situation. And it was fine until, and by fine, I mean, it was fine in the sense of everybody was just going along with it until everyone at the bottom learned, wait a minute, I don't like this structure. I don't like how this pressure motivation is working out. I'm going to look harder. What is this war for? Who does it benefit? How did we get to this point? Why are we at war? Is there a spiritual answer to that question? Not anymore. There used to be a long time ago. We called it the Crusades, another big lie. But there used to be a representation where you could give war a why answer, that there was a spiritual necessity for this war. And the problem with that was no one understood what spirituality is. And unfortunately for them, we're starting to figure that out now. I've spent the last uh, 15 years of my life trying to figure it out. I'm still not there, but at least I'm trying to figure it out, right? Other people have done similar and other people continue to do the same. And now we are now weeding out those breathy guru douchebags who wanted to be spiritual leaders, but knew nothing about spirituality. We're, we're rooting them out. We're getting rid of that pressure issue, that pressure motivation issue. And we're coming up with real reasoning, real rationality, real understandings, real self-awareness, real mental health situations, real depictions of depression. And people are waking up. That's what, that's what the great awakening, that's what waking up is all about, is that, under, that idea that you have to define these things for yourself. That's your job. That's your reason for being here is to come up with these understandings. And so when that happens, then the understandings of the group mentality go away, that these people at the top get to define what you believe we now understand to be bullshit, that the church doesn't get to say what you're supposed to believe, what their depiction, that their depiction of the spiritual scriptures are the only true answer. That's bullshit. We know that now. You have to define that for yourselves. If you are a Christian and never read the Bible, that's on you. That's your own damn fault. You got to figure that the fuck out now. If you're Jewish and never read um, the Torah, you know, or, or if you can't understand Hebrew, that's a problem. You might want to, you want to address that. If you're, Islamic and you've never read the Quran, if you've never actually gone over the idea that Sharia law doesn't exist inside of the book known as the Quran, that they invented that outside of that, then well, you're in trouble. If you're Jainist and you have never read the Mahayana and Vishnahana, the, uh, even though the Vishnahana is in the Mahayana, if you've never looked at the differentiation and thus looked at the karmic law situation that Jainism talks about, you're in trouble. If you're Hindu and you consider yourself inside of Hinduism, which is the way of the Hindu people, uh, and you don't understand the Bhagavad Gita and what that lesson talks about with this, and that's just one representation. There's many books there to look at. Um, but if you don't understand the many facets of Krishna, you might be in trouble there if, if you're letting someone else define that for you. And inside of that, if you are just some, you know, random Westerner and calling yourself a Hinduist, you're not because Hinduism is the way of the Hindu people. You more would be better served to go look at Buddhism. If you're a Buddhist and you've never read any of the, the text of Buddhism, the Mahayana or Vishnana, if you're Chan Buddhist or Zen Buddhist, if you've never read any of the, the books, uh, I don't know if you necessarily 
understand what's going on here. I don't think you get to call yourself Buddhist at that point, right? If you're just wearing some mala beads and saw some monks somewhere and thought it was a cool idea to be connected to everybody and to believe in reincarnation, I, you didn't you didn't get the note, man. It, it's time to wake up. It's time to look at you know what your belief structures are and if they're real or not. Because they're not. You're letting someone else define what these things are for you. If you're listening to my podcast and you're allowing me to define the things that you believe, to define the things that you're, you know, your understanding, you didn't, you didn't get the message. You didn't pay attention. You got to wake up. You got to be like this fucking fat, balded, you know, bearded dude on the Tammy Hendricks podcast doesn't get to say what I believe. That's the right answer. And the right answer there is to say, oh, well, you know, maybe at least he's pointing me in the right direction to go look at some things on my own and to come up with my own understandings. That's the right answer. That it's up to you. It's not up to me. It's up to you. That's discourse. That's the idea of having social familiarity with oneself and other people. And so I've looked at this thing known as Nagong, and I've taken it a little bit farther than just the martial practices of Nagong. And maybe that's not even a correct statement because everything is a martial practice when you understand that everything is war because humans invented war, and thus we are always at war. And so when I say that we don't need to be at war anymore, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we just don't need to be at kinetic war. There are versions of war that we could fight from here on out that we're probably going to fight no matter what because we invented war and we use war as a pressure motivation skill to create the reality in which we exist in. As humans, who define us as humans, we must war. Um, then, I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just wrong and I should give up at this point. That's kind of what it's looking like. It's kind of looking like I should just give up at this point because... Generally, no one gives a shit. That's the answer. No one gives a shit. And I say that, yeah, to urge you to give a shit about yourself and about the world that you want to live in because no one's going to agree on that. No one gets to agree. So we have to come together as a cultural standard of a species to define together a rational middle ground. That's what all sci-fi writers talk about. That's what all fantasy writers talk about. They, they imagine what the middle ground is. Because if you don't come together on the middle ground, you're going to end up on one side of the coin or the other, and that creates a vastly different side of the other coin, and it just exponentially gets larger and larger and larger until we become so unbalanced that the universe will wipe us out will literally be like, no way can we let that go on any farther. Time for them to go away. And that could look as simple as the sun just going, poof, bye-bye, no more sun, no more humans on Earth. Or it could go massive volcanic eruptions all around the continents, all around the world of Earth, and boom, no more life on Earth in that sense. And then things grow anew. It's all cyclical, but we are very much at the point of destruction. We are very much at the point where things must be destroyed so new things can come in place. And we have to have conversations about what those things are supposed to look like. And they're fucking dark and they're fucking bad conversations that no one wants to have, but we have to be adults. We have to be rational thinking individuals. We have to bring back what the ancient teachings brought about because they had to deal with these things as well. 
on yeah different scales and different levels and different technologies and understandings and but they had to have these conversations and a lot of the times we got them wrong that's what history teaches us it teaches us about all the times that yeah we probably got that wrong there was a different way there was another method there was a better answer so again doing what i do all the time which is remove connotation let's take connotation completely out and here maybe i'll piss some people off if we look at the rationality of all the things that's ever been done in the history of what we call humanity or what we're trying to call humanity, we get rid of the connotation of right or wrong. We have choices and we have the change that came of those choices. And we can then rationalize objectively, did things become better or did things become worse? Not good or bad, right or wrong, just better or worse. Well, okay, if we're going to talk about that, we have to talk about what the measurement structure there would be. And subjectively, that's different for everyone. We call that why questions. So let's get rid of that connotation. And let's simply define more pressure or less pressure, balanced or unbalanced. And remember, we have to look at balance asymmetrically because that's what the universe does. So have we asymmetrically been in balance? By the rational choices that have been, not rational, the choices that happen to create the change that we are now living through or suffering through, however you want to look at it, did it create asymmetrical balance? That's, That's the simplest I can make, simplest and not simplest, because there's nothing simple about that. That's the measurement. So let's use some examples. Did... Uh, did the American colonization project, did the colonization of, of the America uh, or America, uh, the United States of America by British settlers create asymmetrical balance or not? Did, let's even, let's, let's use that one. Did World War II create asymmetrical balance or not? Did, um, did, uh, what else? Uh, did medical apartheid in Africa create asymmetrical balance or not? Did the Industrial Revolution create asymmetrical power or not? Did the um, bubonic plague create asymmetrical balance or not? Did the Qing Dynasty overthrowing the Ming Dynasty create asymmetrical power or not? Did the Japanese revolution, uh, revelation of invasion of Korea create asymmetrical balance or not? were the outcomes of any of these asymmetrically balanced or not. So it's multiple, there's a multitude of levels here. And and yeah, I'm naming good things and I'm naming mostly bad things, but let's look at some more good things or or what people would generally classify as good things. Did the invention of the microchip create asymmetrical balance or not? Did the fall of the Druidic orders create asymmetrical power or not? Did the creation of the mystery schools, the hidden priesthoods from the Egyptian cultures forward create asymmetrical power or or asymmetrical balance or not? That's the question that you have to kind of look at at the macrocosmic scale of all these giant things that's happened throughout history. And now you have to come back to yourself and say, have your choices in your life created asymmetrical balance or not? Because eventually, that's where it has to end up. The universe will balance itself, just like the universe will balance you. You will balance yourself. 
what's the asymmetrical balance? That's what I'm getting at here. The full discourse of this entire episode is to talk about what is asymmetrical balance? What's it look like? How does it react? If you want to be a drug addict and an alcoholic, the asymmetrical balance of that is your liver will stop functioning. You will ruin other people's lives and you will eventually die. A pretty, a pretty brutal, uh, pretty brutal death of, you know, kidney or liver failure. Pretty bad. Um, you're probably also going to do some really bad shit to people. That's reality. What does the asymmetrical balance of um, an individual who decides to sexually assault someone else look like? That's a that's a funny question because I know um, I know in my personal situation, other than maybe the mental discourse that person has to have with themselves, nothing ever came of it, and so one might beg the question of did the Norse people have it right? If you sexually assaulted someone in the uh, in the North Germanic tribes, um, you were you either were maimed, and by maimed I mean your genitalia was ruined, uh, or you were put to death. That was that was that was that was the general ruling back then. And yeah, okay, we can have the conversation about the death penalty and all that stuff, but the asymmetrical balance was very quick. So Jainism talks about this. It's called the, the Dharmic Law, not Karmic Law, Dharmic Law. Dharmic ha- happens in this life. Karmic is multiple lives. So what is the asymmetrical balance of that? Well, we're finding out now. We are. Because I can tell you there's a lot of pedophilic um, culture in the world, and it's all coming to uh, it's all coming to fruition. It's all coming to asymmetrical balance that these people will be found out. Because it's a hard idea. It's a hard affair. It's a, it's it's a, it's so out of balance that the only thing that could keep it close to not exploding into balance again has been powerful structures of individuals who all, in my personal opinion, and I'm not the one that gets to make the ruling, which is a good thing because I would all put a bullet in all of their heads, um, is that they get found out. And this is the world we're now living in. I just want people to be prepared for it because I know what this would have done to me as a child or as someone who suffered from clinical depression or someone who was very unbalanced in their mental states to find out that the world was all of these things have been happening around us all the time would have crushed me and would have drove me into suicide. Very, you know, yes, I made two attempts and maybe luckily or not, I have no idea at this point failed. Uh, I would have made much better attempts, <laughs> I assure you, had I realized these things sooner than I realize them now. That there are these horrid, fucking terrible things that have happened in the world, and we just, we just, we just ignore them. We do ignore them. And this goes down to divisional lines, right? So there are pedophiles in the world. There are people who think it's okay to rape children. Male, female, whatever. They, they don't care. And a lot of them will, you know, discuss the whole idea of like, well, you know, 16 is a consensual. No. Rape is rape. 
rape under the age of 18, we define mostly in Western society as underage. And so we call that pedophilia and that exists. And we've let these people do whatever the fuck they want. And these people are very high power. That's why they get away with it. This exists in the world. Sorry, I'm the one that has to tell you this. This exists in the world and it's something we have to deal with. It's something we have to talk about and understand that it's just not fucking okay. And yeah, I'm very passionate as a person, as someone who you know, was sexually assaulted as a young age and ruined many, many, many relationships in their lives because of that and not being able to come to grips with it and still having to deal with it on a regular basis to kind of come to a conclusion of you know what happened or, or create my own why answer as to why that happened. But even outside of that, we have things like mass genocide. You know, like, you know, the Wagers, we have uh, the medical apartheid that was mass genocide. We have, you know, xenophobic cultural representations that believe it's okay to kill someone because they're not part of their culture. That's happening regularly and happens regularly. We also have um, a, a giant massive destruction of the middle class in the sense that we created a middle class, which also created a lower class and an upper class. And then we even branched that out farther to create even more classes. And we did that all, all the way back at the beginning of the monarchies or the ruling parties or the priesthoods, if you will, that there was these people who should rule over others because they were somehow better, be it ordained by their gods, God, or spiritual representation, uh, or maybe just an alien fucking race, who knows? that exists and still exists and has been propagated and made even bigger into fruition. And we have to deal with that because it's gone to the point where it's so unbalanced that the balance is coming and we need to be prepared for what that looks like. This is what the original Nuremberg trials were all about was that representation that even though you did it because you were told to do it, doesn't mean it was okay to have done. You're still culpable. And people are going to realize that this even goes into the financial disparity of what happened with the 2008 housing collapse and the, and the financial breakdown people create that was created. That was allowed to, you don't get to claim ignorance. That's not ignorance. Isn't in a reasoning anymore. It never was to be ignorant was to intentionally now. Okay. Fair point. Cause I've made this point before. Let me say this. Willful ignorance is is not that's not an answer. If you were ignorant, you absolutely had no idea, which means that you questioned and didn't find answers. So you went with the best information you had. That's ignorance. But if you were at any point made aware, had awareness uh, that that might not have been the right course of action, then that's willful ignorance to have then continued with that action. That's the root of all evil and that will or should be punished. That's the balance of that situation. And yes, I'm talking about some very nitty gritty, terrible things. And some people would throw out the fact that, oh, you just sound like a conspiracy theorist, Phil. Sure. Okay. Like classify me however you want. I don't really fucking care anymore because people need to wake up to this shit. You need to wake up that there is an evil, bad world out there and you have to find a way to cope with that. My job's not to answer what we do with all that information. It's my answer. My job is to say, hey, this shit exists. It really does actually exist. 
how are you going to let that affect you? What's it going to do to your psychological situation? Because I'm trying to save lives. That's my job. My job is I took the hippocampus oath, do no harm, try to help people as best I can in the functions or capabilities in which I can. So I made an entire fucking podcast about figuring out your mental health and self-awareness and getting a better, stable, stable, more, more well-balanced, again, asymmetrically balanced understanding of who you are as a person and how you function and how the outside influences are going to affect you. And then what this whole thing of spirituality might be, because it might help you answer the why questions, which are more subjective and not objective. And so when you have an objective overload and have to figure out some sub- subjective way of going about understanding it, because that's what overwhelming, you know, situations occur as, then, you know, here's methodologies in which maybe you can do that. Here's ways of thinking about it. Here's other ideas in which you can plan for. And now I've come to the point where the unbalance has become so great that I have to shock people into getting ready for the shit we're going to have to go through because the suicide rates are already way too fucking high and they're only going to get worse. And I somehow figured out how to get rid of that thought process. So it would be a massive injustice that I could do to be willfully ignorant and say, no, 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 I have no idea how to, you know, not think that way. I don't know how you specifically are going to not think that way that you still, there is still that piece that you have to do it for yourself, but I've tried time and time again to represent ideas in which that can be a possibility because chaos came first. God damn it. God's damn it. No, God damn it. I don't care how you put it. Chaos came first. Infinite possibility came first. And when things get destroyed, they go back to infinite possibility. And thus, you make yourself aware of these things and stop being willfully ignorant, you can then deal with it. And maybe it's too much for you to deal with right now. Maybe, you know, me listing out the fact that there are, you know, sexual predators in the world and there are people who propagate war and there are people who want you to be less so that they can be more. It's too much right now. And I, I, um, that's fair. It really is fucking fair. So at a base level, you've been made aware of it, which means now you can't be willfully ignorant of it. Doesn't mean you have to engage with it right now. Maybe you got other shit you got to deal with first. Just don't let it be a surprise when it all comes out and you're like, well, um, I didn't even know. Too bad. I told you I fucked up your life. I'm sorry, but I'm not actually sorry because we don't get to hide from this shit anymore. We spent too much time. Humanity has spent way too much time letting other people do bad shit because we just don't want to deal with it. It's just too much. You get to make that decision now and then, you know, on a, on a few occasions. You know, if there's a giant car accident and the EMTs and the EMS and everything else has already showed up, no, it's not time for you to get involved. It's time for you to stay the fuck out of the way. That's okay. But that's not being willfully ignorant. That's just being there rational situation boom shit happened but if you're the first one on the scene absolutely call 911 i'm not saying you got to rush to go help because that's not the right answer you should always check the scene make sure it's safe and if you can help in some way help or call others to help that are more qualified than you that's totally okay that's not willful ignorance willful ignorance is driving up to an accident scene and acting like you didn't fucking see anything that's willful ignorance and that's some bad shit because that's what we've been doing for a really long time every time you know some random celebrity gets off the hook for doing bad shit and the whole world just goes, Oh no, that's, 
oh, you know, they're a celebrity and like, you know, oh, they, they live in a different world than we. No, they fucking don't. They live on the same goddamn planet or goddamn planet or no goddamn. I'm going to say that every time now. They live on the same planet. They follow the same rules that the universe follows. And that's pressure motivation. The universe will seek balance. It will get balance. It'll do that asymmetrically. No one gets a pass. Those days are over. They never should have existed. That was the unbalance in the begin with. No one gets a pass. No one. All right. I've heard some really bad horror stories in my life. I really have. And I've kind of kept them out of this podcast for a really long time. I can't count on one hand anymore. Fuck, I can't even count on my hands and toes anymore. The amount of times I've been drinking at a bar alone because I couldn't be drinking in my home alone because I couldn't trust myself to do so. So I went to a bar to drink alone. And I'd be outside smoking a cigarette on the porch and some random person who knew, didn't know anything about me just approached and didn't approach to ask if I was okay. Didn't approach that just approached because they felt they just felt they should for some reason. And the story went something like this. And you know, oh, tell me about yourself and me being me. I just cut the bullshit and I go, ah, oh, so, you know, why are you drinking? What, what, what's got you here? What's doing? You know, cause I'm, and I would tell them I'm clearly here cause I can't trust myself to drink at home. As soon as I say that, as soon as they're like, oh shit, this dude's probably here, here for his own reasons, but we're doing the same thing. They tell me some story and they didn't want pity. They didn't want me to cry with them. They just wanted to fucking talk to somebody because bad shit happened. I've met women who two nights before had been raped and they had nothing to do, but go to another bar to drink because they didn't know what to do with themselves. And I've heard that story more than once. And I'm not qualified to talk to them about that, but I am qualified as a person to be another person in a situation where someone else needs to fucking talk, needs to have discourse needs to have a verbal interchange of ideas to have a conversation to feel connected because their humanity had been ripped away from them. So everything from unfortunately those situations to the person who had just been in a car accident and like jarred their world because the, they were driving and they lost the passenger died to the passenger who the driver died, to the person who lost their mom or dad or sister or brother or sibling or aunt or uncle, you know, and had just gotten back from the funeral and wanted to go out for a drink. And I'm not saying that, yeah, that's great. Cause like, you know, it all happens at a bar that just happened to be the experiences that I was at. Cause I couldn't trust myself to drink alone. So it drove me to the bar and maybe that was the balance. Maybe the asymmetry there was that, I couldn't drink alone, so I was the best answer for someone else who couldn't either. We don't often look at the world like that. And I, yeah, to be honest, I really hope not too many people have to work, look at the world like that. But I've definitely found in all of my travels, and they're not very far away from the place that I live, generally 
there's a lot of these stories. There's a lot of tragedy. The best part about tragedy that is that it's the it's the balance, the comedy, and the same vice versa. There's comedy to balance out tragedy. That's the whole uh, laughing face and 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 sad face is that one person's tragedy is another person's comedy, and one person's comedy is another person's tragedy. But there's levels of that. There's balance. There's asymmetry. And so as much as I'm telling you about all the horrible shit that's happening in the world around us, politics and fake wars and financial collapses and energy crises and lies about climate and science in general, hidden histories, bad science, not misinformation, bad science. Medical medical worlds that are overwhelmed, insurances that are just out of control, pharmaceuticals who have no idea what being human is and just only see bottom lines and profits. There's a lot of imbalance. The way to get back to balance without a giant fucking eruption of bad shit that could cataclysmically be world ending at this point because it's just so that far out of balance is this thing called discourse. And as much as an antisocial individual as I can be, I still believe in discourse. I still believe in conversation. I still believe people want to connect and talk. To be honest, even the balance to that is some people just want to listen. I found that in those interactions that I had, and I mean, still continue to this day to have, are sometimes people just, just want to talk and I'm just okay to listen. I had a recent interaction uh, randomly really randomly that I, uh, I went to a place I used to work. They asked me to help out a little bit. So I helped out a little bit. And the reason, I mean, they had to get under control. They're all very, you know, they're great at their jobs. They're all professionals. You know, they know, they know how to do their jobs. So they didn't really need me, but it was a help, you know? So I decided to help. I wasn't expecting anything out of it. That's just how I am, you know? Uh, and you know, they, They gave me some cash at the end, which they didn't need to do. And I really appreciate that they did. That was very nice of them. Um, But at one point in the night, as as things were progressing, I found myself in a situation with one of the individuals working and we were getting some supplies for some stuff. And, uh, you know, she just, she wanted to get something off her chest. She wanted to talk about something. And my job wasn't to give her a rational situation. My job wasn't to tell her, you know, what the balance of all that was. It wasn't even really to make any of the jokes that I, I kind of, you know, made a couple jokes to get her to, you know, laugh a little bit. It was to listen that it was stressful to the point that someone she hadn't seen in like six months that she, yeah, we used to work together, but like she hadn't seen me in like six months that she just needed to talk, to just tell somebody what the fuck was going on. 
and that it was just kind of a shitty situation. And I don't know if that helped or not. I don't. I never do. I never actually know in the end. I don't know what the end general outcome was. I do know at that point in time, though, the discourse was she wanted to talk and I should listen because part of discourse, the balance to discourse is to listen. Discourse is a verbal interchange of ideas. And sometimes the idea is they talk, I listen. That's just how it goes. That's asymmetrical balance. So I challenge you to go have discourse. I challenge you to go be aware of the shit that's going on in the world and find some little balance for yourself. But in that same sense, to have the discourse with yourself, to have the social familiarity, the obsolete definition of discourse, to, to do that. Because in fact, discourse, the verb discourse, I've been talking about the noun, the definition of the verb discourse is to express oneself especially in oral discourse, to, to talk, to have a conversation. And you can do that with yourself. It's totally fine. Discourse allows the ability to find that balance that the world so desperately needs right now. And as a function of that balance, I must say at this point, if you're going to have discourse, to have it openly, to try to eliminate connotation where possible, to become aware but not ignorant, willfully ignorant, to take action when possible and to do so safely and to understand the repercussions of action that although you believe you may be seeking balance in some cases, that you may also imbalance the situation. So to then apply rationality and first principle thinking and understanding in that sense. But also to withhold judgment in the case of discourse between two individuals so that not to, to create more divisional lines, to instead to have discourse where discourse becomes forum where people can openly discuss their opinions and ideas and and to make those ideas and opinions rationally more better either objectively or subjectively to better community or to have the simple conversation with oneself that Do I just need a night in by myself? Do I just need to take some time for me? Or maybe I just need to get a small group of friends together and enjoy their company. Or maybe you're the person who needs to to to, to make the big soiree happen, to have the big shindig, to bring everybody together. Maybe you're that person. Have that talk with yourself. I have it regularly with myself. Like, do I need to, have I been neglecting my friends or my connections? Have I been neglecting them? Do they, are they trying to reach out to me and they want to, and I should, should go not appease them, but go have the balance of like, oh no, you know, these people generally want to have a good time with me. 
or want to, or want to see me or talk to me or catch up, you know, like, and maybe that is just through a text message. Maybe it is a phone call. Sometimes a phone call is a little bit better, but you know, that's, that's the macrocosm microcosm. I'm always talking about like these things happen on a grand scale and they happen on a small scale too. But willful ignorance is not, not engaging with either of those scales and just trying to be no scale. That's not, that's not really a balance because that's willful ignorance. Now, if you're just ignorant of it, remember willful ignorance and ignorance, two different things. But unfortunately I tend to make people aware of things. And so you have to play the willful ignorance game. Also discourse, also having conversation with yourself. I don't think I got anything else for you. This was just discourse in general. I'm sure I've covered some topics that people were like, man, wow, you went too far, buddy. Or, you you know, you, but I do say at the very beginning of the podcast, come get triggered. Um, Because sometimes that's the balance, a little shock treatment, a little shock and awe. Check us out at taminghindrances.com. I have to say that more often. Um, I will say that none of my uh, opinions and or information shared has anything to reflect on the affiliation I have with purebulk.com, although I believe you should go over to purebulk.com, use code taminghindrances, or use one of the uh, links on the website to get yourself some good supplements. Specifically, check out Cliff High's Pure Sleep. I don't share any of these opinions with Cliff as far as, well, okay, there's some that I do and some that I don't, but nothing I say should uh, reflect on Cliff in any way. Uh, nor I don't think he would give a shit, but, um, check out Cliff High's pure sleep to get yourself some better sleep because a lot of what's going on in today's society is fucking with our sleep constantly. Uh, just uh, background radiation from the grand solar minimum where the sun's Corona is shrinking and we're getting a lot more radiation, uh, pelting the earth that the, um, you know, the earth's shields, uh, earth's atmosphere can't really deal with or ozone can't deal with. That plus all of the strife and turmoil with the political situations and the information that's coming out that are riling people up constantly. There's a combination there. Um, getting better sleep will definitely help with dealing with that, um, specifically oxidative stress, which I can tell you if your body's not dealing with oxidative stress, it's getting more inflammation. And if you're getting more inflammation in your body, you're in a an act of disease or disease and uh, that can cause all sorts of other health problems so getting better sleep quality of sleep specifically going down into the non-REM sleep non-ramp eye movement when we're not dreaming when we're just in a deep delta brainwave pattern is really important to not only help us function as a body but also a mind and then with those two things we should also focus better and function as a spiritual being as well so check out uh, Cliff High's Pure Sleep Gen 2 is out. Uh, it's been out for a while now. It's great. Strawberry flavors, tasty. Gets a good restorative sleep. Um, gets you to sleep. Helps you stay asleep. What else? Um, check out the archive on the website, tingmanchurches.com slash archive um, for all sorts of random weird stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of... Oh, speaking of sleep, I, I believe I have a link there to check out uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman. If I don't, I'll put one on to check out his work. I think he has his own podcast now. Uh, he talks a lot about uh, neurological effects and how sleep affects that as well. Check that out. Um, and I'll come up with another episode, uh, another topic, as I usually do. I have been um, tossing around the idea of starting um, interviews. 
Um, that was originally what the podcast was supposed to be. I was going to interview people and talk about mental health, self-awareness. And, I, you know, now I'd have to talk more about spirituality, but that might become a possibility if I can figure out the logistics of how to make that work. Um, I do like hearing myself talk though. So maybe I'll keep it to myself, but no, I, I think I'm going to toss around that idea. If, uh, you have some suggestions of topics that you would like me to discuss on the podcast, feel free to head over to tamminghendresses.com slash contact and uh, use our contact form to send me an email. Um, you can also get, uh, I don't really follow Twitter, but I'm at uh, hindrance taming on Twitter and, uh, or send her, uh, head over to the YouTube channel and leave a, um, a comment on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash taming hindrances. Uh, I will try to get that. I don't update that as much as I should. I will try to get that as updated as possible as far as episodes because I do do video episodes as well. But Or leave us a review. Leave us. Use us as the royal, royal us. Leave me a review on your podcast platform of choice, be it Apple, uh, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, um, on Spotify now, um, all sorts of places. I think I'm on FM radio or iHeart radio. I'm on one of those. Whatever your podcast platform of choice Leave us a review or leave us a review on the website. Same as the, um, it's on the contact uh, page archive. Um, sorry, Taming Hinges slash contact is both the contact form and also the review form. So feel free to leave that there. And uh, I'll leave you, I mentioned most of this on the outro, but I'll leave you with the outro and I'll see you on the next one. Take care. Remember to have some discourses with yourself, your friends, family, loved ones, or just your fucking dog or cat. Or the squirrel in the, the parking lot. I don't know. Your car. Have a conversation with your car. But have some discourse. And I will catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at TamingHindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. Now go be awesome and just remember to breathe.